Of all the poisons I've addicted myself to, all the dangerous decisions I've made, all the noxious intoxicants I've ingested, alcohol, marijuana, hash, mushrooms, cough syrup, air freshener, ephedrine, peyote, nitrous, ritalin, dexedrine, Adderall, Valium, LSD, GHB, MDMA, Vicodin, Percocet, Opana, Xanax, fentanyl lollipops, opium, morphine, cocaine, crack, meth, peanut M&Ms. There is one inescapable addiction, one dangerous decision I've made over and over and over, one high to rule them all. This obsession has cost me friends and lovers and, Jesus, maybe $50,000 by this point. It has worn countless tires down past baldness to their finely interwoven steel mesh. It has not just damaged but outright destroyed several vehicles. It's forced me to consort with thieves, junkies, and professional liars, to consult doctors and lawyers, to beg help from strangers. I've sweated for it, cried for it, bled for it, and puked from it. It isn't just my worst vice, but also my first vice, preceding not only my first snort, my first toke, my first drink, and my first lay, but possibly even my first theft or even my first use of profanity. This is the hardest part. Though I've left the drink and the drugs behind for more than four years, I still indulge in this wickedness not just occasionally or often, but daily, every single day. I've held my life hostage to a deranged, narcissistic dream for 30 years. It's not unusual for it to be my first waking thought, my last thought before falling asleep, and for it to wake me in a panic in the middle of the night. Hell, I've even gotten a tattoo for it, a little demon with the name of that poison written on his forehead. My name is Mishka Shabali, and my disease is rock and roll. The first high is always the best high, and my first was Chuck Berry's Johnny B. Good. As a small child, I was interested in only two specific futures. Astronauts struck me as boring and nerdy, and come on, a fireman? I wanted to light fires, not put them out. Surveying the murky, prehistoric deep like Jacques Cousteau would be acceptable, though I was still too scared to open my eyes underwater. Or I could see myself as a professional knife thrower, with a thick, dark mustache and a fringed leather vest. I imagined either of these fields would provide lucrative, stable employment for the right person. But after I heard the incendiary double stops of Johnny B. Good falling like clots of napalm on a dry hay field, well, everything else was ruined for me. Chuck Berry was speaking directly to me. I lived back up in the woods among the evergreens. I was a country boy. I was Johnny and he was me and I could play a tennis racket, just like ringing a bell. At six, I informed my mom that, like Johnny B. Good, I was going to be a wandering minstrel and just travel from town to town playing my red guitar. I've tainted virtually my entire childhood by viewing it through the murky lens of the extended chemical adolescence that followed. But hearing Johnny B. Good for the first time is one memory that has remained sacrosanct. A moment of enlightenment, of illumination, of pure, unmediated joy.
The song made me happy. My dad gave me all his old vinyl ten years ago. I went through it all. No Chuck Berry. So where had I first heard Johnny Be Good? 